Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zo, and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Just wanted to say a quick thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. This week's message is brought to us by our interim senior pastor, Abe Lee. He's preaching from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Let's get into today's passage in Luke. Now, the word in Hebrew that I'm thinking of is shalom. And in Arabic is salam. And in Portuguese, if I get this right, cuts, I hope, uh, is pause, like pause. Uh, in Korean is pyonghwa. Uh, and in English is simply peace. And it's a word that I think that the world desperately is seeking and desiring, especially with everything that's been going on in Chicago lately with our neighborhoods, from the shooting in Chinatown to what's going on in Bucktown. Everything is it's just a little crazy. And it's a promise God makes with his beloved. It's the chorus of today's pop song. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I'll tell you, we, I truly believe we all want it. We want peace. But the way to get it, it's not always something folks agree upon. The process. There's, there seems to be a lot of different opinions regarding the best path to peace. I think most people back in Jesus's day and a lot of people today, they just don't like the way God directs us in regards to that pathway to peace. Uh, my wife and I, we recently re-watched Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. We were watching it with a couple of our friends. There's a song in that show, uh, if you've not seen it, I'm not going to ruin it, the show, history. Anyway, King George, he sings this song in the musical is called You'll Be Back. Uh, and this pa- passage today, this message, it reminded me of that song. There's two lines there. One is, and when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. The other one is, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. Uh, and I, I'll say that this character, obviously very extra, very extreme, the actor in the Hamill film, he did an amazing job. I love the way he, he sang those lines. And I think oftentimes for a lot of people, this kind of applies to peace. The expectation is that peace can only come from the end of war. Peace can only come if you have a peace. Peace can only come if you have a fully armed battalion behind you. But today's angelic pop song, it points out this is, is exactly the opposite of what God designed and what God intended for peace. Because peace comes when the lowly are lifted and when the humble are heightened. Peace comes when the surprising supports salvation. I've been doing this for the past few weeks. I wanted to take a look at the behind the music, giving the story around the song, so hopefully we can better understand the significance of each of these poems of praise. And I have to say, Luke really works hard setting the stage for today's pop song. So I want to do that. I want to look at that stage that Luke set in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. This is what he wrote. He said, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, 
who was with child. Now, in this passage, you have Caesar Augustus and you have Quirinius, outsiders to Israel. They were not Israelites. They were associated with the hegemony of Rome. And the mere mention of their names to Luke's Jewish readers, it would have sparked memories of a dark time for Israel. A time when Roman subjugation was becoming a thing, a heavy thing again. When the powerful were establishing themselves over Israel again. And with the census that they were calling, these two were saying, you know what? I'm so powerful. I'm going to count you all just so I can think of how much money I'm going to take from you all. And and, and introducing Augustus and Caesar, Augustus and Quirinius, Luke is about to demonstrate something severe. He's demonstrating the juxtaposition of man's attempts towards power. Augustus and Quirinius attempting to prove their authority. He's, He's juxtaposing their trying, trying to be powerful to God's actual power. You see, the census, it pointed to this oppressive regime that drove Mary and Joseph away from home. But it drove Mary and Joseph to the city, the city of David, Bethlehem, where King David was born and where King David was anointed. It, the census drove them away from home, but it drove them to the right place, to the right city at the right time, for the real Messiah, for the real king to be born. Because man tries so hard to be God-like, but no one is like God. Man tries to thwart God's plans, but you never can. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, this is specifically what it says. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old. From ancient days. Man tries, but man's plans will never thwart God's design. And then we come to, to verses 6 and 7. Again, Luke is setting up this stage. and It's a passage that points to the typical nativity scene that we've all been pretty familiar with. We've seen them in churches, seen them on TV, see it at the Chris Kindle Market downtown. It says there in verse 6 and 7, while they were there, The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, I want to take a moment today just to paint potentially a different picture for you. Uh, The word inn in Greek comes from katalima, and I don't think katalima is translated correctly to be in, okay? In some of your Bibles, you'll see that there's a little footnote there that says that there is a second translation for the word, which is guest room or the guest room of a house, right? Because there's a different Greek word for in that Luke actually uses later on in this book uh, when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, how he dropped off the guy that he saved, the injured guy, and uh, he rescued him and drops him off at an inn, or pandocheone, uh, with the innkeeper, pandoches. So katalima, pandocheone, it feels like katalima may not be in after all. And another reason I think that the right translation for katalima is not guest room, but ra- is guest room rather than inn, is because of this. They're going to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was a small town. It says there, to be, it was too little to be counted among the clans of Israel. 
You know, this, of course, before Airbnbs or hotels or like that. So the, the likelihood of an actual inn being in this tiny place is really low. So here we have Joseph and Mary. They're heading back to Bethlehem because they have to. He was, he was of the house of David. Maybe he had property there, but more than likely he had a minimum of family in Bethlehem. So this is what I want to offer to you. I think that the more accurate, the better image of Christmas is not necessarily a bunch of innkeepers shutting the door in the faces of Mary and Joseph. I think that the better image of Christmas, the day that we remember the birth of our Savior into this world, I think it's one of family. I think it's one of hospitality. I, I think Joseph and Mary went to a relative's house and stayed with them. And even though there was no room at all with the family, family always makes room. I remember there was one year, Suzanne and I, we had just gotten married in the first year of our marriage, and we were living in a tiny, tiny one-bedroom apartment. This is a, I was on the beach in San Francisco, and it was tiny. But we figured, you know, as small as it is, we're never going to be able to afford, you know, a beach house. So let's do that. Let's live in front of a, on a beach for our first year of marriage, which is not that great if you ever do it, just so you know. A bunch of our friends, though, came to visit us, and hopefully I got the timeline correct, but they came to visit us from Chicago in San Francisco, and we had no room, though. We, but we didn't turn them away. Basically, what we ended up happening is six people sleeping in our living room in this tiny one-bedroom apartment for, I forgot how long, it just seemed a really long time. But there was, because there was no room for them in the, the katalima. There was no room in the, well, we didn't have a guest room. There was no room in general. But Joseph and Mary, they show up to their relative's house. And, and rather than being turned away, because family doesn't turn away family, they're offered the only private space that, that's available in the entire place. See, instead of being squished, which would have been the common practice, squished with everyone else in that common room, in that one tiny little living room, because there's no guest room, the family says, we're going to offer up as much hospitality as we can muster. Listen, <coughs> excuse me. Listen, your family, you need some privacy. You're about to have a baby. We're going to clean out some space for you downstairs. I know it's where we keep the sheep, but at least you can have the privacy you need as you have your baby. I want to offer this to you. Consider, I think that the Christmas story of the birth of our Savior is actually not one of rejection. It's one of humility and one of hospitality. See, our, don't get me wrong. Our Savior uh, is unfortunately ultimately rejected by the world. But I don't think that's the point of this story. I think that Luke is highlighting here, he is juxtaposing the humbleness of our Messiah to the haughtiness of Augustus and Quirinius. Luke had masterfully set up this story. He brought in Augustus and Quirinius right in the beginning. And he's pointing out just how different the real ruler of the world, the real Savior, the real Messiah, Jesus Christ, how different he is from these two. Luke is intentionally pointing out that this is exactly the opposite of what one would expect. Augustus and Quirinius, powerful rulers who would have commanded honor, commanded obedience, humility, and hospitality were not in their vocabulary. It's not something that would have been associated with them. They, without thought, without consideration, they uprooted the lives of Israelites by making them travel just so that they could be counted for tax purposes because they wanted to demonstrate their power. Augustus and Quirinius would have not hesitated 
to kill friends and family to prove their love. But the real king of the world, he was brought into this world with a very different showing of power. There was no pomp, no circumstance. Jesus was born in the most humble way because that's the message God intended to give right from the start. The Savior of the world comes in as he wants everyone else to live, humble and hospitable. And then in this story, Luke switches from that humble image to a different humble one, one full of shepherds tending their flocks in the field. In verses 8 and 9, this is what it says, And in the same region where there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great as I've said over the last two weeks, every time you see stories of angels appearing, the immediate and most appropriate reaction by people is thinking, oh, crap, have I done something wrong? Because if I were to see an emissary of God just suddenly show someone who had been in the presence of God, and so they're all shiny and stuff, I'd probably be pretty much thinking, I'm not worthy. And that's what they were doing. And as I was preparing for today, studying the theological significance of these angels proclaiming the birth of the Messiah to shepherds, I, I learned a little bit that I had not known before. Basically, there are some theologians who, who uh, believe that shepherds were considered the lowest social group or class in Israel at that time. Right? Their, like, their testimonies weren't accepted in court. They were often viewed as liars and cheaters. Shepherds were almost as hated as tax collectors, according to, to some historians. But then you have this other end of the spectrum where you suddenly you have the most important people in Jewish history being shepherds. You have Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. And then you have all these allusions throughout Scripture in like the Proverbs Psalms where the uh, 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 shepherds caring for their flocks or Israel, how the Messiah would be the good shepherd that would replace all the bad ones, right? So after studying all these different views of how shepherds might have been considered during Jesus' time, I have to admit, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how shepherds were thought of back in that time, in that day. But... Thankfully, there is a common truth that I was able to identify, a theme that all theologians do agree on, which is, and I think Luke saw this too in his day, and so this is probably what he was focusing on in his uh, story of the baby Jesus. Shepherds, whether they were the lowest class or not, whether they were reviled or not, shepherds were working class. They were, in today's terms, seen as blue-collar or no-collar workers, right? They were typically poor peasants. They were day laborers. They would hire themselves out to get extra income whenever possible. Shepherds, they would have to work in teams. They would fight off wild animals. They would fight off sheep stealers. And so it was a rough job for them. I'll tell you, as I was reading through and preparing this, the image that came into my head of shepherds was like, a bunch of shepherds standing outside like Home Depot with a staff and a club and a backpack with their lunch just ready to be picked up. And that's basically what it was. Shepherds were day laborers. They were hard workers. So just like Mary, when she proclaimed it in her song, shepherds were people of humble estate. 
And the beauty of this proclamation is this. The proclamation of the birth of the Messiah was not to the powerful. The proclamation was not to the religious leaders. The proclamation was not to kings or or governors. The proclamation, this angelic pop song, it went to the lowly. It went to the humble. It went to the hired hands, not the haughty elite. See, the promise of peace is announced in a way God always intended, but in a way no one expected. See, in verse 10, it says this, And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And so the shepherds are probably now thinking the promise of peace is based on a baby, not a champion on a white horse or a flying dragon or whatever, the Savior, the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah, the one that's going to bring peace on earth has come as a baby in Bethlehem. Makes no sense. The shepherds are thinking the Messiah, the appointed one, the anointed one, the anointed one that the entire nation of Israel has been waiting for for centuries is in our backwater little town. We're so small, we can't even get an inn. Emmanuel is coming as a baby. And they're also probably thinking, did we actually hear the angel correctly? Did the angel just say the baby was in a manger, in in a feeding trough? Does manger mean something else in angel language? How does that make any sense at all? It's, it's weird enough that the long-awaited Messiah is coming as a baby, but it's coming as a baby to Bethlehem in a manger. See, the promise of peace is announced in a way that God always intended, but that nobody expected. And, and as these shepherds are probably thinking about what they're hearing, they probably also are thinking, why are you telling us. We're just shepherds. And I will say that I am often awed by the simple, beautiful symmetry of God's design. You know, how right is it that the future good shepherd is heralded and initially worshipped by shepherds? And how on the nose is it that the king from the line of David comes to the world in the most humble way to be honored by others of humble estate. When God became man, when Jesus was brought into the world, the angelic proclamation of this good news of great joy, it's intended for everybody, for all the people. And that is absolutely made obvious by who God decides to give the message to first. This proclamation of peace and of hope It was, and it continues to be for the lowly and for the hurting, but it's also for those who hurt, the herders, because it's for everyone. See, this proclamation of peace and hope, it continues to be for the marginalized and for the maligned, but it's also for the marginalizer and the maligner, because it's for everyone. It is, and it continues to be for the traumatized and the terrified, but it's also for the traumatizer, because it's for everyone. It's for the vulnerable and it's for the vain because it's for everyone. The good news of great joy, the promise of peace, the gift of redemption from our broken relationship with God, 
is come into the world not as I might desire it or as the world might desire it, but as God had always intended it and as no one would have expected it. And then we continue on to verses 13 and 14 where it says this, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, throughout this series, we've been looking at these poems of praise, uh, the one sung by Mary, Magnificat, the one by Zechariah, Benedictus, and then we gave a nod to the one sung by Elizabeth, uh, Zechariah's wife. All of these songs, all of these poems, they were uncontrollable outbursts of worship at the realization of the coming of the Messiah. But then this one, why were the angels singing? I mean, Jesus is awesome, and they probably hung out with him before he decided to become the Son of Man while still being the Son of God. Yeah, okay. But all the effort, all the work that Jesus was about to do, it didn't benefit the angels. It wasn't for them. So why would the angels be singing about it? What was the big deal for them? And as I was thinking about this, you, you have to consider the whole fiasco with Adam and Eve right in the beginning when they introduced sin into the world, God placed cherubim or angels at the entry to the Garden of Eden to make sure no one could get in. Basically, for century, centuries, angels had been witness to failed attempt after failed human attempt to draw near to God. Angels were supposed to protect us. That's what they're there for. And they constantly watch us as we fail to draw near to the Father. Angels, they're in God's presence all the time. So they're fully aware of God's heart. They knew and they know that God's desire is to be united with his beloved. But we keep messing up. So the angels are singing this song, this poem of praise, because it's about to happen. It's finally about to happen. For centuries, the angels have been guarding the gates of heaven. And now they're witnessing the birth of the one who's opening the gates of heaven. This was and is God's highest glory. This was what had been planned from the beginning. So they sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, this poem of praise from the multitude of angels, it proclaims God's heart, his passion, his desire, since before all it all began, that the Son of God has come to provide the pathway to peace, pathway to his beloved, pathway home. This, this is God's highest glory. It, it, it's done. And at the same time, it's not. Because this is the idea that we've talked about before, the already but not yet. See, the angel's proclamation, it points out that we still wait for the upside-down kingdom of God to come. And until we're able to go home through the work of the Messiah, while we're here on earth, God makes a promise that on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And it's not a peace that we define. It's a peace that God provides. It's a peace that results in reconciliation between God and his beloved. It's a peace that Paul describes it to the church in Philippi. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that guards our hearts. It's a peace that guards our minds in Christ. It's a peace that Jesus left with us 
through the gift of the helper, the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 26 and 27, this is what he wrote. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. This peace that's promised isn't a promise of no more war. It's not a promise of no more trouble, no more tragedy. It's a promise of a reunion of the redeemed with the Redeemer. This peace for those whom God is, with, God, with whom God is pleased, with God's beloved, is a promise of perfect security, of perfect harmony, perfect health, perfect joy, perfect unity, of perfect love. It's a promise that the journey to this time of perfection that's coming is started with the birth of a baby to a young girl of humble estate. It started with the baby being worshipped by those on high and those considered low. It started with a baby born in humbleness. I'm going to start wrapping up in a second, but I want to look at how the shepherds reacted to this pop song. And I'm hoping that maybe we can learn how we could react to this pop song ourselves. In verses 15 to 17, this is what it says. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds uh, said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. I want to skip down to verse 20, and it says there, and the shepherd returned. They went back home. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The shepherds decided that the only appropriate response to this amazing news that they heard was to first go and see, and then, and for themselves, and then second, to make it known to everyone what they had seen. Now, I'll say, maybe this is uh, really the first time you've ever heard this story, which is cool. You know, this story of how God came down to live amongst us so that we could be <coughs> reunited with our Father in heaven. More likely, you've probably heard this story before, but you still don't know what to do of it with it. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And if this is you, either of those scenarios, I'm going to ask you, please, go and see. Seek to understand the truth of this news that we call here the gospel. Seek to understand the, this amazing story. Seek through the prayer for open eyes, open arms, open hearts. Seek to understand God's greatest glory. Seek to understand the peace that's being promised. And I'll tell you, very practically speaking, how you can seek this, how you can go and see, join a small group. You can talk to Opal during lunch about that. Talk to the friend who brought you here today if somebody brought you. If nobody brought you and you just happened to wander in, talk to somebody that you make a friend with as we have lunch together afterward. Ask about Christ. Email me. Email any of our staff. And by God's grace, we will try to help you go and see. Now, if this is someone, if you're someone who already knows this truth, then I'm going to ask you to make it known. And the shepherds told everyone they could about what they witnessed both in the moment and when they got back home after the moment. You see, sharing the good news of this great joy 
sharing that the unexpected pathway to peace that God had always intended but no one expected, this was the shepherd's new reality. It was something that, that became like breathing to them because they had witnessed the most amazing thing, God's highest glory. The Messiah has come, and everyone needed to know it. I'm going to ask the band, go ahead, make your way up here. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I know that what I say is much easier to say than it is to do. Trying to, to, to make it known, most people around you, though, they, they may not understand you. They may mock you. Uh, or your friends will just look at you and say, you be you. That's all good for you. It's not for me. It's scary to put yourself out there to proclaim a faith and a passion for something that the world around us looks at and thinks, you know what, that just emboldens the established patriarchy of a white Anglo-Saxon power subculture and structure that should be abolished. And I understand how that's scary for you to proclaim as your belief. But glory to God in the highest. Because Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah that we've been waiting for, the Lord God has come to earth so that in his perfection, we might be made perfect in his eyes. So no matter what the world, what society, what your friends, whoever may proclaim as their truth, as their reality, this angelic pop song is reality. The shepherds came back. They came back glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. And I want to ask that we might consider doing the same. If you have seen this truth, I'm going to ask you to do the same because the truth is this. He's coming back. And my prayer is that we, together, can bring as many of those that we love and as many of those that we may not love to realize this same promise of peace. Thank you for tuning in to this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit our website at cotb.life. God bless and have a great week.